Hello friends, welcome to the dining room table where we very appropriately will be taking up John chapter 6, uh, which is the passage on Jesus as the bread of life or the bread that has come down from heaven. John chapter 6 is uh, one of the most amazing discourses that Jesus ever gave to his disciples. It's so full of rich and beautiful truths, connect the Old Testament to the New Testament, really clarify who Jesus is, what he came to do. But it's also one of those passages that is just unfathomably deep. Well, there are many sayings and statements in the passage that are on the surface very clear their, their meaning, their application is something that we really have to pray and will take years for us to really grasp it. In, in some ways, it's like standing, and, and maybe you've been in places like this in the world, even in our own state, where you're in a body of water, and the water is so clear, you can see all the way down to the bottom of that, uh, the bottom of that body of water. But if you were going to try to dive down and touch that bottom, you, you never could because the pressure, the weight, all of that goes into diving in that type of situation just would overwhelm you. In some senses, this is a description of what it's like to stand before John 6. On the one hand, very clear. On the other hand, very deep. Let's dive in. I want to begin the reading in verse 30 as you trace throughout the worship service today. You've read portions of this. Uh, this in context follows Jesus's feeding of the 5,000. And uh, because of that, because of that miracle, these crowds are very interested in following after Jesus because Jesus is providing for them physical bread. And, and he is uh, showing just his miraculous, amazing power in the course of the world. Uh, but Jesus wants to take them deeper. And as these crowds come to Jesus, follow him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he begins this discourse to, to draw them deeper into who he is and what his mission is. I want to pick up the reading with you in verse 30 uh, and then go through verse 40. So they said to him, what sign you do that we may see and believe you. What what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, 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 I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I would raise it up 
on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Thus far, the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will indeed stand forever. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that as we come to this passage that is at one level so clear, but at another level is unfathomably deep, uh, we are so grateful that as we come to this passage that your Holy Spirit goes before us. Holy Spirit, you are alive and engaged with our own hearts and minds even now. And we pray that you would reveal to us the uh, the truths about the kingdom, the truths about Jesus that we need to see today. Open our hearts, open our eyes, that we might see, that we might believe, that we might rest on this one who came for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to this passage, you can see a very clear connection with some of the things that we talked about last week in terms of the introduction. Last week, we remember Jesus said that I am writing this passage uh, so that you may understand who Jesus is, that you might believe in him, and that you might have life in his name. Many of these same themes come up throughout this passage. Certainly, uh, the passage uh, or the idea of life. I am the living bread, Jesus says later on in verse 51, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give, uh, that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is talking about the promise of life. In this passage, John 6, the verse just before we began reading in verse 30, uh, Jesus says, uh, what must we do? Uh, to, in answer to the question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who Jesus has sent. Believing is central. And if you remember, last week we talked about believing as that concept by which we uh, roll ourselves completely onto the reality of who Jesus is. So as we go today, we are invited to a greater understanding of who Jesus is, and we are invited into uh, that, uh, that same place where we were last week, that we would roll ourselves onto Jesus and that we would have life, not only the eternal life, sort of of the of the afterworld once we get through, but the but the life that we experience right now as a disciple of Jesus, the beloved as John identifies himself and in identifying himself invites all who would be disciples of Jesus to see themselves in. So I want to walk through this text and and I want to do a couple of things. Maybe uh, put it this way, answer a couple of questions. First of all, we got we have to start with who. Who is Jesus? Who is it that he says that he is? Secondly, what is it that he is doing? And finally, the so what? What does it mean for our lives? 
So first of all, Jesus is the fulfillment of the signs. Your outline uh, certainly has that laid out for you that way, answering the question of who Jesus is. Two things I want to f- highlight for you here in John chapter 6. The, the first is just this uh, idea of the I am's. We have said that there are seven specific I am sayings in the book of John. And what I mean by that is there are seven where there is an object. Jesus with it, there are seven I am's with an object. Jesus says here, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. There are a number of seven specifically of these statements throughout the book of John. Throughout the book of John though, Close to 30 times, Jesus uses some construct of this form, I am, where he says, I am he, I am. Perhaps the most dramatic of these uh, is in John chapter 18, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the, uh, the soldiers, led by Judas, the betrayer, come to take Jesus captive. In verse 4, Jesus, knowing what would happen to him, came forward and he said to this band gathered to, um, to arrest him, whom do you seek? They said to him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus responded, I am he. Now, that's the way it's translated for us in the English, but it's actually just two Greek words, ego and me, I am. Uh, And notice the response. Uh, When Jesus said to them, I am, this is verse 6, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Why is that so significant and why is it that we want to highlight this and understand this as we uh, seek to answer this question of who it is that we are dealing with? Well, if you remember back Uh, in Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, Moses met God at the burning bush. We know this. Moses was uh, in exile in Midian at the time. Uh, Moses was a selected one who was going to lead God's people out of slavery, captivity, into the promised land. Uh, God meets him and he gives him this commission in this bush that just burns but is not consumed. Moses is told to take off his shoes because he's standing on holy ground. God gives him his message and Moses says, well, if I come to the people of Israel, and this is Exodus 3 verse 13, and say to him, the God of your fathers has sent me and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And then God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God uh, narrows down his name. He distills his name to just simply 
I am. And, and this is something that was to convince the people of Israel, and indeed, uh, they came to cherish, they came to understand that this is who God is. And so here, when we meet Jesus in the New Testament, uh, especially in the book of John, and again, as John, the author led by the Holy Spirit, gives us this picture of who Jesus is, the fact that he connects Jesus uh, and his self-identification with, uh, with the I am is significant because he is making a claim that this Jesus who was incarnate, that is in the flesh, lived and walked among us, was the very one to whom Moses came uh, and said, I am he, I am the one that you are to worship. So every time we come to this uh, throughout the book of John, we are to remember that the I am connects with the, the God of the Old Testament and, and makes Jesus and, and his claims to really have to be dealt with in that vein. Now, secondly, uh, Jesus is not only the fulfillment of the I am of who Jesus is, but, or, or of who God is, but he is also the fulfillment of, of how God provided for the Israelites. Again, we turn to the book of Exodus. You remember that the Israelites, when they were led out into the wilderness, they grumbled against the Lord. Exodus 16, verse 2, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate the bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Uh, and, and Moses takes this before the Lord and the Lord says, I will answer uh, myself to them and I will prove myself to these people that I am who I said it is, who I said I was. And then later on, verse 16 of, or I'm sorry, verse 13 of chapter 16, uh, quail came and covered the ground and in the morning dew laid around the camp. And when the dew had gone, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that God has given you to eat. Uh, what is it? Of course, translates the word manna. This became then the uh, the food and the name, the name of the food that the Israelites ate throughout the entirety of their time in the wilderness. This quail, this bread, this manna, that was what sustained them. It was the bread of heaven. And, and the Israelites were constantly thinking about that. It is said that the prophet Jeremiah took the manna that was hidden in the Ark of the Covenant and, and hid it, and, and it was to come out and to be the sign when the Messiah came, that he was truly the Messiah. And so here Jesus is connecting this manna with the fulfillment of who he is as God's chosen one come into this world. He is not just the physical manna, Jesus says, 
but he is the heavenly manna, the bread from heaven that has come come down to give life to his people. Part of what we are to see as we trace throughout the book of John, uh, as we look at his various signs, and certainly the feeding of the 5,000 was one of the signs, is that Jesus, this incarnate one, was indeed, as we saw last week, the one who was fulfilled Uh, the one who was promised of, of, of old and has fulfilled those promises. Jesus is the bread from heaven that has come down. But then the second thing, once we understand who Jesus is, namely that he fulfills the sign, is we have to take it the next step forward and, and we have to ask what What then does this mean? What does this mean for who Jesus is? What does this mean for uh, our life? And uh, I want to move us to sort of the next thought by saying Jesus not only claims to be the fulfillment of the signs, uh, but he also claims to be the source and the sustainer of life. Notice how Jesus moves from the physical bread to the bread from heaven, uh, the bread which uh, is his flesh, uh, which of course we understand he will give in his death. And it's as we believe in the work that he does that we have life. There is a confusion, right, on the part of the crowds as they were seeking Jesus. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not, um, oh, I'm I'm sorry, earlier in verse 26, Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, or maybe a better way to translate that would be to say, because you understood what the signs meant, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor, verse 27, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus is is trying to move them from the physical, the food that they ate, the food that filled their bellies, to something deeper. This is something that we constantly struggle with as humans, don't we? I mean, this is where we're just so much like we're so much like uh, these crowds. We can get so distracted uh, by the things in the here and now that we miss the things that are truly important. And and Jesus is pointing us to that. And he says, uh, unless uh, you you eat uh, of the bread that I give you, you have no life in you unless you truly understand what the signs mean, not just the signs themselves, these loaves and fishes that feed the multitude, but what they mean, you will not have life in, uh, in who you are. And that's what, or in me and what I've come to do. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. He's saying that he came to be something greater than even what Moses gave them in the desert. He came to be something uh, more life-giving. Moses was able to, uh, you know, Moses is the significant 
person by whom God gave this bread, and this bread sustained them while they were in the wilderness. But Jesus makes the point throughout this passage here in John chapter 6 that those people died. Uh, They ate that manna and they still died, even though it sustained them for a time. But what Jesus is saying here is that I have come uh, to give you true life, eternal life, abundant life. Something very similar to what Jesus says to the woman at the well earlier in John chapter 4. You can come and you, you come to this well and you draw water, but I've come to give you living water, water that will never fade away, uh, quenching uh, a thirst forever and forever. His body, uh, Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst Jesus is the one that sustains. And and this is the what here. Jesus is the fulfillment of the signs, and they are pointing to his life, his death, his work on the cross as being the absolute central event in history, the thing that will give us life. Now, there's one other thing that we need to highlight here, and this is where some of that clear, deep, imagery really comes out. Jesus makes a number of statements in here that on the surface are really clear, but when we really stop to think of them, have both comforted and challenged God's people throughout the ages. Um, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me, verse 37, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The grammar of that is very clear, but there are a lot of sort of deep truths or concepts in there that, uh, that really have a depth to them that when we start to mine it, uh, begins to boggle our mind a little bit. All that the Father gives me, what does that mean? Does that mean that um, there is a set number of people that the Father has ordained for life and has given to Jesus? Is that all uh, is that everybody or is that is that part of everybody? All that the Father gives me will come to me. I, w- what does that mean for our individual choice? Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Uh, is there any sense that somebody could come to Jesus and not find grace? Uh, for I've come to do, uh, come from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Um, of the one who sent me. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, believes in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Jesus goes on, and in verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. I, I think many of you sense the uh, the challenge that is here in these verses. These verses, again, it's very clear. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And, and that language there is, is very strong. 
some people have interpreted draws in terms of woos. You know, the father woos him. He, he sets the truth before him, makes it so beautiful, draws that person to Jesus. That's not exactly the, the meaning of that word. We see another use of it in Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 30. Paul was seized and dragged out of the temple of Jerusalem. They, they drew him out. Uh, we can be sure that the angry Jews at that time were not wooing Paul to come with them. The, the actual translation is, is closer to compels. No one comes to the Father uh, or comes to me unless the Father compels him to do that. So again, the, these, the words are, are actually pretty clear uh, that are here in this text, namely, that there is a group of people uh, that the Father is bringing to Jesus. Jesus, you know, they are, are looking to faith in Jesus, and Jesus is receiving them. Jesus gives his life for them, and Jesus is the one who will raise them up at the last day. It's not their effort. It's not their righteousness. It's not any of those things that, uh, that will, in the end, determine their, their status before the Lord, but rather it is Jesus's work that allows them to persevere or preserves them throughout the course of their life. Now, I've said there's tremendous comfort here, uh, tremendous comfort here, because I need to know uh, that the quality of my faith is not the resting point for my acceptance before God. If that were the case, woe is me. Because my faith goes sort of in and out, up and down. It shines bright and then it wanes low. And, and if the quality of my faith uh, is the determining factor of whether I am accepted in Christ or not, then, then I am very, very miserable. But rather, what Jesus is saying here is, I will do it. Uh, you are brought to me. Uh, you, you throw yourself on me, you surrender, and I will sustain you. Uh, again, very clear, very deep. And I know that it's a challenge for some of you. Some of you, especially uh, here now in the West, anything that smacks of determinism or fatalism or a, a lack of control or individuality on the part of who we are right now is something that we really, really struggle with. Uh, but there is a sense in which Jesus says, come, rest, you know, lay it down, your strivings, your sense of having to do it on your own and find your rest in me. Uh, one writer, J.C. Ryle, puts it this way, we learn from these words that Christ's offer to sinners are wide, broad, and free. No doubt it is true that none will come to Christ but those who are given to him by the Father. But who those are uh, that are so given, we cannot tell and we must not attempt to define. All we have to do is invite everyone without exception to come to Christ and to tell men that everyone who does come to Christ shall be received 
and shall be saved. To this point, we must carefully stick. And that is the truth of the gospel. If you come to Christ, he will never cast you out, as he says very clearly here. The last thing that uh, I want to uh, point your uh, attention to is that as we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the signs, that we see that he is the one who is both the source and the sustainer of life, we recognize that Jesus is absolutely the one that supersedes everything that this world has to offer. There is no greater hope for this world than the hope that we find in Jesus. And like the crowds, like the disciples, there are so many things that are around us and that draw our attention. You remember Paul in that passage that was in our liturgy a little bit earlier this morning. The Jews seek for signs. Uh, the Gentiles or the Greeks seek wisdom. But I offer you Christ, uh, the wisdom of God, the fulfillment of the signs for the disciples. Uh, we look for all sorts of things. Like the Jews, we, we are looking physically here and now what is going to meet our needs. We look at our checkbooks. We look at our politicians. We, we look at uh, the happiness quotient that we have achieved, as Cooney talked about a couple of weeks ago. We, we look at all sorts of temporal, physical things for our life. Or perhaps we're, we're looking mystically. We're looking for the signs. We're looking in the spiritual realm, but we're looking for it in a way that doesn't land on Jesus. Rather, we'd interpret the signs in our own way, in our own method, uh, whether it's uh, through a, a New Age philosophy, uh, through Hinduism, through anything that doesn't center on Jesus Christ. But what Jesus says to him is, I am the bread of life. And it is only as you feed on me. So interesting in the end of this passage, you know, the, the Jews are trying to say, well, what does this mean? You want us to eat your eat your body and, and drink your blood? And, and Jesus is saying, listen, you're trying to trip me up by, by asking this question that would make my claims seem foolish. But if you understand what God is doing, and if you understand what I am doing when I am going to the cross, you will understand that it is the most important thing for you to grasp in this world. And then Jesus doubles down and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and of course, he's not talking about that in a cannibalistic sort of way, but he's talking about it in the way that when we come to the table, we eat the body of Christ. We drink his blood by faith. Uh, when we come by faith to Jesus, believing in him, this is the theme that comes throughout all of John, rolling ourselves on him, surrendering our life to him. Unless you do that, Jesus says, you have no part in me. But if you do that, if this is your food and drink, then you have life. It's interesting, 
throughout this passage and uh, in just a minute we'll have a moment of reflection where we'll look at the response of the crowds they're seeking Jesus they're asking questions what must we be doing to do the work of God they're grumbling about him they're disputing about him but Jesus says this is the work believe in me rest in me recently came across an article uh, by a man named Chad Bird. Uh, Who he is isn't as important as what he has to say. He's talking about the the disputes, the arguments. He's talking about uh, folks that uh, find themselves uh, apart from Christ, either because they won't come to him or because they are too smart for him. He says these theologians with little interest in Jesus may find themselves book smart. They may find themselves self-sufficient, but even if they're book smart, they're gospel dull. He said, I'm not intellectual. I actually spent 16 years in the academy as a student and a professor. I earned three masters in religious studies. I learned Latin, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, French, and German. I studied the Trinitarian controversies of the patristic period. I sat at the feet of Talmudic scholars at a Jewish seminary. I read Aristotle's poetics in the original. It was all cool, heady stuff. But you know what? I consider it all a stinking pile of dung compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord, the bread of life. During those 16 years in the academy, other things happened too. I watched one of my best friends go from a dude you'd want by your side in a barroom brawl to a 125-pound cancer-withered skeleton. Dave died on a Christmas Eve. His body is buried a few miles south in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He needed the Jesus who was the resurrection and who is the resurrection and the life. During those years in the academy, I also destroyed my marriage by infidelity. I estranged countless friends. I tried to smother my pain afterward with booze and sex and more destructive choices than I can even remember. In the years that followed, I didn't need someone to parse Greek verbs for me or discuss the soteriological ramifications of premillennial dispensationalism, but I needed a brother or a sister to say to me, Chad, the blood of Jesus covers you. You are baptized into Christ. You are forgiven. Dave, my friend, and I needed the same thing. We all need. We all need Jesus, the bread of life. Interestingly, we both got him, but in different ways. Dave's now with Jesus in heaven. Jesus is still with me here on earth. Our needs, living or dying, here or above, are the same. Brothers and sisters, and I would, I would posit that it is the same for you and me. Jesus here, this one on the seashore, this one who fed the 5,000 says, look to me, I am the bread of life. If you want to truly live, you will find it as you believe in me. What are the works that we must be doing, the Jews say? It's not works. It's one thing. 
Believe in me and you will find life in my name. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its promise. It is uh, so deep, as we've said, but yet it is also so clear that it is as we look to you, as the Israelites looked to the serpent raised in the wilderness for life so many years ago, as we look to you, uh, hung for us on a cross, risen victorious over death and the grave, as we look to you, we have life even now. Jesus, bread of life, be our sustainer, be our food and our drink. We pray this all in your sweet and precious name. Amen. Have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you again next week.